Morning, church. They got me mic'd up double today, so no one should miss anything I say. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I thought I made an observation today as folks were walking in. I thought we were having a reunion of the 1980s Phillies. So I think uh, students that were on the trip and leaders, raise your hand. You know, we get to hear from them this after, right after service during our family life hour today. Uh, they'll be sharing about their trip, and I uh, just thought it was very interesting how their shirts reminded me of the 1980 Phillies. So. <laughs> Pastor Jim, you're a Pirates fan. What do you have to say for yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Our memory verse. This is week number two. Uh, we started last week. Uh, we're going to take a verse each month and work to memorize it together as a congregation. And so thankfully, uh, Beth helped us out this week. A little cheat on the front of our weekly, if you didn't have time to look at it much through the week. So let's go ahead and say our verse together, and we'll finish with where it's found. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Very good. Proverbs 3. Five and six. I almost forgot. You know, I get really, it, that last line just stumbles me up in the ESV. I always want to say, he will make your path straight. And I, I, one of the things I want to find out is, why did they change that in the ESV? I, I would be interested to know the answer to that question. Well, we have been studying the book of John in light of the reason of why it was written, and we remember that John was very clear with his intention of writing. He was writing so that we might believe, and not just believe, but believe and have life in Jesus' name. And this particular section of John, uh, we've been answering the question, uh, who is Jesus? That's kind of been one of the resounding questions that's kind of hung over this section that we've been looking at. And in this particular portion that we're going to look at today, if you want to take your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 8, verses 39 to 47. John 8, 39 to 47. In this particular passage, there's a lot of talk about fathers. And you know, it was, it was interesting to me this week as I was thinking through this, uh, I was reminded of the reality that many of us imitate behaviors or patterns of our father. I remember uh, a picture that my mother had of me when I was very young. And my dad, he was on the back porch. I believe he was working on the porch. And he was doing a project. And he had his hammer in his hands. And I, he may have been building a deck. I'm not 100% sure. But I remember that he was there on his knees with his hammer. And I was right next to him on my knees. And I was little tykes hammer and that wasn't going to drive many nails in but I was helping dad I was helping dad do what dad was doing and you know myself I, I got to experience this many years later a, a few years ago when Brighton was young uh, I was coaching we, we every summer we have a youth camp where children from the community come and the football players the high school football players and the coaches work with the little children of the community that want to play football in the future. And we have a little camp for them, and we teach them drills. And Brighton was too young to participate, but he wanted to be there to help. And so I gave him a whistle. 
And, and, and at that point, well, that was a mistake. <laughs> yeah. So we, we threw the whistle behind him. And at that point, his, his words weren't even really, uh, you know, understandable except to those who live with them. You remember when your children were that young that only you could really interpret what they were saying for people? That's kind of where we were at. And, and at one point, I had all these little guys, and I was teaching them a drill, and I was, I was kind of talking in my coach's voice, which is naturally kind of projecting and loud. And all of a sudden, next to me, this little voice starts barking at the guys. And, you know, he was coaching. That's what he was doing. He was doing what dad was doing. And, you know, this, this happens sometimes in, in very sweet ways like that, picking up a hammer, um, trying to coach like your dad was coaching. Sometimes this carries on into adulthood in, in maybe a little bit more peculiar ways. Have you ever heard this line before? You sound just like your father. Some of us have heard that before, right? Right? Maybe, maybe in good way, maybe not always so much in a good way. Maybe some of us even look a little bit like our fathers. I've heard that before about myself. You know, and the Jews, they thought they knew who their father was. And that's kind of where we left this passage off last week as we continue to work through John chapter 8. They truly thought that they knew the identity of their father. But Jesus is going to show them in this passage that they truly did not know the real identity of their father. And in exposing the real identity of their father to them, we will also be challenged that we would know the true identity of our heavenly father. That we would truly know who he is. Before we go into John chapter 8, verses 39 to 47, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, you are so good to us. I was reminded of that this morning when I opened my door and walked out onto my front porch and felt the cool air, smelled nature, looked around and saw the sun and the beauty of the green grass and the trees. You have created a beautiful world for us to live in. You have placed us here with a purpose. You have called us to this place this morning for a reason, Lord. We're each here because you desire for us to be here together in community with one another. It's not at all an accident. And so, Lord, we acknowledge that today. Lord, we trust as we open your word that you would teach us from it what you would have for us to know today. That it would change us, that it would help us to grow, that we might indeed know the true identity of our Heavenly Father. And Lord, be challenged to follow after Him in a way that would be honoring and glorifying. Help us to grow in a greater love for you and a greater love for each other. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter 8, verses 39 to 47. They answered him. This is the Jews who had gathered to hear Jesus here. Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. 
you are doing the works of your father, the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the reason why you do not hear them is because you are not of God. There's an identity crisis going on here, friends. The, the Jews who were gathered to hear Jesus' teaching here, many had believed. Remember that. It had said that in the chapter before. Many had believed, but their belief was not genuine. It was not a saving faith. It was a belief that was misguided. A belief that actually, instead of motivating love and a desire for obedience, it was actually stirring up hatred and dissension towards Jesus. And they had missed what Jesus had alluded to in verse 38. You remember Jesus had said, I speak of what I have seen with my Father, and you do what you heard from your Father. Lowercase f. They thought that they knew what Father Jesus was speaking of, but truly they had no idea. And there's an anticipation that is building here in this passage up until the point of when Jesus will reveal the true identity of their father. Jesus had acknowledged that indeed they were descendants of Abraham. But you know, he was not yet ready to get in a line in a circle and sing with them, Father Abraham had many sons. That's, that's not where he was yet. It's not where he was going. Their understanding here, friends, is darkened. Abraham is our father, they proclaimed. But Jesus was not willing to concede this confident expectation that they had. Look down at the end of verse 39. Jesus is he's going to do something very interesting here throughout this passage. He's actually going to use three if-then statements within this passage that we're looking at today. And the first is at the end of verse 39. Look down at the end. If you were Abraham's children, and you can put the word then, then you would be doing the works Abraham did. So the appropriate question that comes to mind here is what did Abraham do? What did he do? And it's a good question. It's a question that is clear in Scripture, but it's also a question that's deeply woven into the theme of John's writing. Remember the reason John's writing. John's writing so that we might believe. Right? And in John chapter 6, the people come to Jesus and they say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And what was Jesus' answer? 
believe. What did Abraham do? It's a great question. And the answer, friends, is all throughout the scriptures. Look at what Abraham did. Romans chapter 4, 9. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Romans 4.22, this is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Galatians 3.6, just as Abraham, what did he do? Believed. He believed. And it was credited to him as righteousness. James chapter 2, verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him. As righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. And in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Look at how this theme of belief is woven all throughout the book of John. Even the reason that he's writing that we might believe. And what were the works that Abraham did? Abraham believed. But his belief was different than the belief of those who had gathered. Remember, those who had gathered, their belief had led them towards hatred, towards dissension, towards anger and animosity of Jesus. Abraham's belief motivated both love and obedience. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed, and because of his belief, he had a right relationship with God. And you know, what's particularly challenging to me in this passage is there's something revealed here. Remember John chapter 7, many believed, but their belief was not genuine. There is a way, church, to believe and not have a right relationship with God. They had missed the real Jesus here. The Messiah was standing in their midst and they missed him because they were looking for a Messiah to fit their own agenda. Someone very different than who Jesus was. And I'm reminded that Jesus, he isn't supposed to fit into our culturally and socially acceptable definitions of him. He does not get to be defined by the generation that we live in today. Jesus is defined as he has revealed himself in the word of God, the Bible. If we have not accepted Jesus for who he really is, and how he's really laid out and exposed in his word, then we have believed on a counterfeit Jesus. One created in our image by our own shifting standards. And friends, we we hear this sometimes. Unfortunately, I've been in places where I've heard things preached before that I I kind of felt heavy about. Like maybe that shouldn't be said. And I've heard, you know, things said like, well, Jesus would have never done anything like this. Jesus would have never behaved in any manner like this. But but those those lines aren't grounded in scripture, they're grounded in personal experience and circumstances. And you know, I think we really have to be careful when we say things like that to make sure that if we ever say anything that Jesus wouldn't have done anything this way or Jesus wouldn't have behaved in this manner, that we go back to the Scriptures and point to the Scriptures that would defend that. 
because it can be an incredibly damaging statement to some. And we talk about Jesus that way. Our belief in Jesus should be grounded in truth, in the truth that's found in His Word and not in circumstances and that which is culturally acceptable. Abraham's belief was grounded in truth and it motivated his love and obedience towards God and others. Look down at verse 40. In verse 40, Jesus reveals the true motivations of their belief. Look at what he says. This is what their belief had motivated. Not love and obedience. Look at verse 40. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Seeking to kill Jesus, their works were justifying their knowledge of another father, one not named God or Abraham. And, and when they're confronted with this truth, they're motivated towards violence, hatred, even murder. Remember, next week, when we get to the end of John chapter 8, you remember what they do at the end of John chapter 8? What do they do? They pick up stones. They pick up stones. Sound like a culture that we know today? Friends, Jesus' light is offensive to those who live in darkness. And to many, His truth inspires rage, hatred, bitterness, hostility. Yet in some, like those of us who are here that truly know Jesus, it should motivate love and thankfulness. Oh, church, that those would be the two greatest characteristics that people could say about us. That we are a loving people and that we are a thankful people. True faith motivates those kinds of behaviors. Many of us, when first confronted with the truth of Jesus, we respond in much the same way. You can remember back to before you came to a knowledge of Christ. Some of us respond with hatred, with fear, with doubt. Maybe the first time you ever heard of Jesus, you rejected it. You didn't even believe. But He's persistent. And He continued. And many of us sit here today with a testimony of His persistence in drawing us to Himself and saving us. And we should be so thankful for the gift of salvation that we didn't deserve, that He gave to us anyway. Many, many will reject Jesus. That's what's happening here, friends. Many who believe are rejecting. They're rejecting Him, and in doing so, they go after the works of another father. Look at what Jesus says in verse 41. You are doing the works your father did. He's building anticipation here. He still is not given a clear indication of who their father is. But the reality at this point, church, is hard for us to miss. It's interesting, their brotherhood, the people who were here, their brotherhood was not with Jesus. They were coming from two completely different families. And their response reveals their attitude towards Jesus. Look at the sarcasm. Their offense at Jesus' words oozes off the page here. They re respond incredibly sarcastic. The middle of verse 41. We were not born of sexual immorality. Why would they say that? You remember what they thought about Jesus, right? 
What did they think? Remember, their belief was that Jesus was born of sexual immorality. That he was born from a mother who had committed adultery and that he had an earthly father who was not truly his earthly father. That he was not aware of the identity of his own father. They're sarcastic. We were not born of sexual immorality. They're dividing themselves from Jesus here. We know who our daddy is. We know. Who are you? One without knowledge of his true father. One born of sexual immorality to tell us that we don't know who our fathers are. That's their response. And they continue. We have one father. Even God. And church, this is where they're terribly mistaken. And I will not go on a rabbit trail here, but I want, to induce, I want to introduce you to a rabbit trail. All right? And I don't do this often, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce you to a rabbit trail, then I'm going to close it off and let you go and study it for the week. Okay? There's a culturally kind of acceptable understanding in the world that we live in today that I've heard a lot, and perhaps you've heard it a lot. No matter who you are, no matter what you believe, no matter where you're at, we're all God's children. How does that teaching align with this passage of Scripture? Okay, that's for you to unpack this week. All right, we'll stop there. We're not going to digress. But instead, instead of digressing, let's look at how Jesus responds to this case of mistaken identity. He uses another if and then statement. It's the second in this passage. Take your eyes down to verse 42. This is the second if then statement that Jesus is going to use. And he's going to answer the question. Here's the question Jesus is answering in verse 42. How do we know that God is our Father? That's the question Jesus is answering here. How do we know that God is our Father? Jesus said to them, If God were your father, then you can put in parentheses then, then you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. So first, to answer this question, how do we know that God is our father? The answer, do we love Jesus? Those who share a sonship with the Father, those who are part of the Father's family, who are part of God's family, those who are children of God, love Jesus. That's the question that's answered here in verse 42. Do we say His name? Do we talk about Him often? Do we talk to others about how our relationship with Him has changed us, about how thankful we are for what He's done for us? Does that gratitude follow us throughout our days, throughout our life? Those who share in the family of the Father love Jesus because He came from the Father and He dwelt among us. He says, I came from God. I am here. And not only did Jesus come, not only did He dwell among us, those are massively important truths that we talk about so much, the incarnation of Christ, that He was here, that He lived with us, that He breathed with us, that He walked alongside of us, but He did all of this in complete submission to the will of the Father. I came not of my own accord. In submission 
And, and look here, the example of Jesus' works are juxtaposed or contrasted to the example of the works of the Jews. Right here in this passage. The Jews, in their unbelief, they were motivated towards hatred and murder. Jesus, motivated by love and a desire for the Father's glory, though He is God, completely submits Himself to the will of the Father and comes to die for His people. One group of people seeking to take life and one God-man seeking to lay down His life for the sake of many. Those are the works that are contrasted in this passage. And friends, the reality is this. Those of us who are children of God, adopted by God, will come to be known as children of love with a nature of love and will be motivated by the same attitudes that motivated Jesus. We have to look no further than Philippians chapter 2, verses 1-11 through to see that. The character of Jesus was one of love, one of holiness, one of submission, humility, sacrifice, and victory. And for those of us who sit here today and we enjoy a relationship with Jesus, His righteousness, friends, is laid upon us. And you know, for, for, this may be hard for some to understand. It was for the people He was speaking to. Look down at verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? Friends, if, if this is confusing, if we have a hard time understanding this, the answer was in last week's message, and Jesus confirms it here. You do not understand because you cannot bear to hear my word. What did we say last week? Jesus said in chapter 8.31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Those who are seeking to kill Jesus here, they couldn't even bear to hear His words. They couldn't identify with Jesus because they didn't belong to God. They didn't belong to Him. And now Jesus will alleviate all of this built-up tension and reveal to the world the identity of their Father. Look at verse 44. Powerful. <laughs> Could you imagine... These people, can you even imagine? These are the religious leaders of the day. This would be like a man gathering a group of pastors today in the community and sitting them down in a room and chastising them and then coming to the point where he says, your father is the devil. That's kind of similar to what's happening here. These people were not ignorant of God. They had a knowledge of Him. They knew the Old Testament. Look at the words. Verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. And not only that, but your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Friends, this was who they were. Shocking words. 
And it should stand as a striking observation to us in this text, in this verse, that Jesus can perfectly describe and define the enemy. He knows the enemy perfectly. And He describes their Father to Him better than they even know Him or understand Him themselves. Their will, their motivation was tied to their Father's desires. Jesus' will, Jesus' motivation was tied to His Father's, capital F, desires. The two were operating on completely different planes. And so Jesus will now define for us the character of Satan. And He ascribes to the devil three defining traits. And I want to talk very quickly about this because I think a lot of times in church we hesitate to take a little bit of time and talk about the enemy. But, but I want to share with you, I think it's important that we know our enemy. That we know his schemes. And we know how he tries to attack us. I think on, on Friday night we play our football games. And on Saturday morning we get together at 6 a.m., all the coaches. And we have a meeting from 6 a.m. until about 1 in the afternoon. And do you know what we do for all that time? We prepare for the next opponent. We study our opponent. We watch film, lots and lots of film. And we try to learn as much about them as possible because the more we know about them on Friday night, the next time we play, the more successful we are playing against them. So there's a game plan that's put together. But first, Jesus points out that he's a murderer, a murderer from the beginning. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober-minded, be, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. 1 John 3, 8, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 12, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. We see the character of Satan from the very beginning of the Bible. He's a murderer, friends. Chapter 1 and 2, God has elevated. His majesty is set out before us in chapter 1 and 2 in Genesis. And what do we see in chapter 3 and 4? The work of Satan. Trying to destroy what God had done. Life in chapters 1 and 2 Death in chapters 3 and 4 at the appearance of Satan. And it's not just that he is a murderer. Jesus has even more to say about his character. He does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. He is a deceiver. He's a deceiver. And again, all the way back from the beginning we see this. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent, the serpent said to the woman, what? You shall not surely die. Deception. One of his greatest schemes, friends. Some of the things in this world that glitter and glow the brightest are the most powerful schemes of the devil. They deceive us. They trick us into thinking that something's good. Friends, heresy creeps into the church not because it sounds bad. 
Heresy creeps into the church because it's something that sounds good, that tickles our ears, that deceives us, that we start to like. Things like the prosperity gospel. And people bite on it. And they chase after it. And it deceives them. It's one of the schemes that Satan uses against us. Deception. And there's a final characteristic. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Friends, Satan's a liar. We're talking about fathers here in this passage, and Jesus wants us to be abundantly clear that Satan is the father of lies. Murderer, deceiver, liar. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end of his way is death. Jesus is telling them the truth both about their father and his father, and they still are not believing. Look down at verses 45 to 47. Whoever is of God. Whoever is of God. This is where he uses his last if-then statement. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Which one of you convicts me of sin? What crime have I committed? Can any of you here prove that I'm guilty of a crime? Jesus is making inference here to His perfect and holy nature. He is confident, free from guilt, clear of conscience. He's done nothing wrong save for speaking the truth in their mind. And later, in the midst of His crucifixion, when Jesus was hanging on the cross in John chapter 18, He says these words, If what I said is wrong, I'm sorry, this is when He's being tried, not when He's hanging on the cross. If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? And here's Jesus' third and final if-then statement. The second half of verse 46. If... I tell the truth, then why do you not believe me? Friends, that's a great question. Why don't some believe the truth of Jesus? Right? We can spend hours, days, years praying for those that don't know Him in our lives to come to know Him. Our heart can break over the people in our lives. We can be burdened over the people of our lives that do not know Jesus. Maybe even to the point of tears. Maybe to the point where we feel like we've done everything we can and yet they still reject Him. Do not come to a knowledge of Him. They want nothing to do with Him. Don't talk to me about that stuff. I don't like to talk about that stuff. Yeah, you can come over and hang out, but I don't want to talk at all about Jesus or your church or anything like that. Some of you have heard that. I've heard that. Why? John chapter 3. This is the judgment. This is the verdict. The light has come into the world. And what? That people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. 
But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. One indication that we are indeed of God is whether or not we hear His Word and abide in His Word. And Jesus tells the people here that they do not hear the Word of God because they are not of God. And we must remember, church, the connection between hearing the Word and true faith. They are deeply connected. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing. And by hearing what? The Word. Faith, hearing, and the Word are all deeply connected. Deeply ingrained together. Tied together. By Jesus here in John chapter 8. And later confirmed by Paul in Romans chapter 10. So how might our lives look in light of these realities as we come to the end of this text? And next week we conclude this chapter of John 8. Next week we will see that those many who had gathered to believe are going to pick up stones to murder Him. How might our lives look? Who is our Father, friends? Church? Do we know the true identity of our Father today? Not our earthly Father, but our heavenly Father. And does our belief in Him, does our faith in God, motivate within us love, faith, and obedience. And if it does, friends, that's evidence that we truly know the Father. But if it motivates within us hatred, discord, anxiety, doubt, fear, if it dredges up feelings of anger and hostility, perhaps, friends, we've never been introduced to the Heavenly Father, God. What is the anchor of your faith today? Is it the truth? Is it the Word of God? Do we truly love Jesus? And is that truth evident through our abiding in His Word? If you love Jesus, friends, you love His Word. It's pretty clear throughout the entire book of John. We're going to take time today to participate in communion. And when we do take time to participate in this together as a congregation at Calvary Monument Bible Church, it's a time of joyful reflection on what the Lord has done for us. If you're a visitor with us here today and you know the Lord and have a relationship with Him, we would invite you to participate in communion with us today as a congregation. But if you're here today and you have not made a decision to follow Jesus, you do not know the Lord as your personal Savior, we would just ask that you allow the cup and the bread to pass by. As the elders come this morning to serve communion, would you take a moment to prepare your hearts and minds before the Lord. Lord, we are thankful for your body that was broken and your blood that was shed for us. And Lord, it reminds us of the great gift of salvation that you have given to us. That you have made available to us an opportunity to have a relationship with the Father, God. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.